Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Welcome to Goshen Baptist Church. For those of you who are here in person and for those who are joining us online on Facebook today, uh, welcome to you. It's also uh, good to have you, and you are part of our congregation in your own way, too, and we are glad to have you with us today. Let's open our service in prayer. Father, we come before you, and we are grateful to be gathered together. Father, would your spirit be poured out amongst us this day? May it inhabit our praises. May it inhabit our hearts and minds. May your spirit be the one that seeks us or drives us towards seeking you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. The call to worship this morning is a responsive reading of Psalm 8, verses 1 to 6 and verse 9. You'll read the part in yellow. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. To silence the foe and the enemy. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. Oh. <laughs> when I consider your heavens, the work of oh, where are we there? There we, yes, there we go. <laughs> When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? You have made them a little lower than the angels. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. First hymn this morning is number 121 in your hymnals. How majestic is your name? Please stand and sing.
for our announcements today. We are birthdays and anniversaries that we have coming up. Uh, Shelby's birthday is on the 5th. Happy birthday to Shelby. Uh, Jack and Margaret Hardiman, their anniversary is on the 6th. And then Christian Van Wyck's birthday is on the 9th. And so happy birthday, happy anniversary to everybody. Our local Tilsonburg ministerial is continuing in their Lenten series this week. Uh, they're going to be at Bethel Pentecostal Church on Wednesday, 11, excuse me, 12 o'clock, 12 till 12.30, and I will be the speaker, so I better get the time right, eh? <laughs> so we're looking forward to that opportunity. We're uh, focusing in on the road to Emmaus during this series time. This coming Thursday morning at 10 o'clock is our last lesson for the Sermon on the Mount for our Bible study group. And so we've enjoyed that time together, and we will try and stay focused and get through our, our final lesson. Next Sunday is our St. Patrick's Day-themed Fun and Fellowship, and it says, join us for a fun time. We're playing Chase the Rainbow and the Hunt for Seamus. The Hunt for Seamus is actually a youth group game that we're going to be using for our, um, our adults. It's going to be fun. Um, you are going to, I don't know if this is a bad thing or not, but you're going to be looking around the church for a leprechaun. It's going to be fun. That's all I can tell you. Um, there will be clues, little poems that will uh, lead you from one place to another, and you'll work as a team. Um, I can tell you about that. I can't tell you about the Chase the Rainbow, but I can also tell you this. It is also Daylight Savings Time Sunday, so remember to reset uh, your clocks for that, too. As we have various meetings coming up, this is a reminder that on uh, Tuesday we have our deacons meeting at 1 o'clock, and so normally we have them on Wednesdays, but because I'm preaching on Wednesday, we're going to have it on Tuesday. Uh, 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, on March 8th, that is uh, CE and Outreach team is meeting. And also next Sunday after church is our annual meeting, and so make sure you bring your own lunch as well for that, and we want to make sure that we have as many people as possible so we can talk about what's happening in the life of our church together. And then I go away. I know. You've been looking forward to that for a long time, haven't you? Oh, wait, I've been looking forward to that. Sorry, yes, uh, me going away. So Beth and I will be uh, heading out back to Cuba to celebrate our 30th anniversary, which took place in December. Um, I will be on vacation for the two weeks of March 13th to 26th as well. When I get back uh, for our Bible study, we're going to get into our study of Philippians and then for our Sunday school, we will continue on with our Sermon on the Mount series. Are there any other announcements that we need to make today? Not seeing any. Okay, great. Thank you. And a reminder, of course, that God calls us to be cheerful givers. So let's take a moment and thank him for the gifts that have been given, uh, whether they are right here in our building or through e-transfer too. And also, if you're following on Facebook and you would like to give, too, you can do so through our email, through eTransfer, and we are grateful for all that is given to the ongoing work of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to serve you and to worship you through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Take them, we pray, and use them to help your kingdom grow, to bless others, and as an act of our service and love for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Next hymn this morning is The Church is One Foundation. Uh, please stand and say. come to our time for praying for one another. I wanted to let you know that uh, June Chambers is still in the hospital. I was in to see her again this week, and there's not really a whole lot of change with June. She's uh, finding it a little slow going, and uh, so continue to keep her in prayers uh, for her leg as that would heal for her. Uh, Lynn Aker, who is part of Eden Baptist Church, uh, had surgery on Friday. I have not heard anything about how that went for her, but I know that she was scheduled for that. And so um, she uh, was, it was for colon cancer that she's having uh, the surgery done. I would continue to pray for Albert Hardiman, uh, Jack's brother who battles cancer. Uh, for Jack Hardiman is having liver issues. And uh, we continue to pray for Les Craig, uh, Raymond's friend, who uh, has been also battling uh, leukemia. And uh, Dwayne, this week, is going for surgery. Uh, that's on Friday. 
And so we're going to be lifting him up in, in prayer as well throughout the week. Uh, and also, uh, Carrie was giving me a little update about Joel as well. Would you mind just sharing with us as well what um, you said? He has been waiting patiently uh, for a stem cell transplant, and we understand through the neighbors that it was this week, not 100% sure which day, um, and they were up there all week. Jody was right up there with him the whole time, so we just haven't heard the results or how it went, but um, you know we're hoping for the best, and so the next step. Yeah, for sure. And Carrie was sharing with me that uh, his sister was a 95% match, but they found someone who was a 100% match for him. So, so praise God for that. Yeah. Anybody else that uh, we should be praying for, or any other updates that we have, or praise items that you would like to share this morning? So your daughter went for an operation uh, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, the operation went well. Good. Thank you, thank you, Phil. That's Sharon that was that had the operation. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so she's still in hospital then. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that update. Yeah, we will be praying for Sharon too. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you that you have given us the privilege of caring for one another, of lifting one another in prayer, of just showing your love. Father, we raise up each one of these to you and we lay them at your feet. Father, we think of June as uh, she continues to convalesce in the hospital and pray for her healing. Father, be with her and give her strength and you know that she and Dorothy miss one another and so pray that you would be with them and comfort them. Father, we pray for Lynn Aker as she has gone through surgery and pray that it was successful. Father, pray, we pray for her recovery as well. Continue to lift up Albert Hardiman as he battles cancer. For Jack as he is having liver issues. Father, we thank you for this good news for Joel, uh, this 100% match, and we pray for success in this transplant that's going to be happening. Father, we continue to pray for healing for Les as he's going through the chemotherapy treatments. Father, we also pray for Dwayne with the upcoming surgery and pray for success and pray that all would uh, go well, that you would give them your comfort and your presence over that time. And Father, we lift up Betty's daughter, Sharon, and pray for her healing and uh, we thank you for a successful surgery for her and Pray for her comfort. Father, for those other things that we carry within us, the hopes and desires and the needs, large or small, we lay them at your feet, Father. We pray that you would continue to work your wonders, your miracles, in the midst of the lives of those we've prayed for. Father, also in the hearts of the lost, our loved ones, family and friends that, are, that don't know you, that are missing out on the abundant life that you have given us. Father, we lift up the lost sheep as well, those who are part of us at one time, 
and have wandered away, and we pray that you would speak to their hearts, that you would draw them back in, that you would soften their hearts before it's too late. They would come back to you. Father, we lift up our sister churches as well today. And Father, we thank you for the good things you give to us. We thank you for your care, for the joy and the communion of this family of faith that we can belong to. Father, thank you for the good things that you pour into our lives and the blessings, for we are grateful for them too. Speak to us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Next hymn is number 479 in your hymnals, Softly and Tenderly.
Thank you. Please be seated. Scripture reading this morning is Matthew 21, verses 12 to 22. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say this, say to this mountain, go, you, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Thank you, Scott. So over the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at some of the things that Jesus did and said that were rather surprising. I'm just calling it authority and audacity. That's what we're going to be focusing on the next two weeks is authority and audacity. What is unexpected behavior? Unexpected behavior often looks like this. I can't believe that he said that. Or, I can't believe that he did that. That's not normal. That pretty much sums up my life. Thank you. That's the end. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that sometimes it's pretty shocking, though, when we hear or see what somebody has done or said. And we're kind of surprised. Like, how could they actually get away with that? And there are things that Jesus has done and said that maybe come as a bit of a surprise. Let me ask you this question. Does anything make you cranky? Or, or maybe you don't like the word cranky. Does anything make you crabby? Or if you don't like the word crabby, we could even say grumpy. How about that? You got the, the grumps, right? Does anything make you grumpy? What makes you cranky? Go ahead. You can tell me. Having to go to work. Having to go to work. <laughs> no, my driveway. Snow in your driveway. Messy house. Having a headache. Sure. I love this picture. I've used it before. It's a fantastic one. Because it's three sisters. And you can tell that one of them is having a less than stellar day. 
right? Cranky, grumpy, whatever you want to call it, the poor little blind girl is not amused. But look at the one on the other end. You know that she's probably the cause of that unamusement, right? <laughs> she's got that self-satisfied smirk. And then there's the one in the middle who's just kind of laughing at the moment about what's going on around them. Things can make us cranky or grumpy. You know what? Uh, for me, I've noticed this, and, and my son has certainly inherited this problem. I don't know much about my daughter. But if I'm hungry, I turn into a bear. Right? If, if, I, if my mood is off, and I haven't eaten in a while, I'm now old enough and hopefully wise enough to at least stop and think, when's the last time that I ate? You know, am I just... Have you ever heard the expression hangry? It's like you take hungry and angry, you put them together, you get hangry, right? Um, there are times when I can get a little hangry. When Will was small, when he was young, sometimes when he was in a bad mood, we would be like, just, we would stop, because it, it was not like him. Will was a really happy kid for like 90% of the time, so when he was a little cranky or whatever you want to call it, we'd say, are you hungry? And then he would stop and say, actually, yeah. <laughs> and then we would give him something to eat, and then he'd be his happy, normal self again. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree there. In our passage in Matthew that we looked at today, uh, we've come to the point, we're now in chapter 21 of Matthew, and at this point, Jesus' traveling ministry was done. That all of the going around the countryside and preaching and, and healing and all over the places that he went to, that's all finished now. Jesus was now focused on Jerusalem and that surrounding area. Jesus was now focused on the cross and what was going to happen there. If you're following along carefully in our series as we're working through the Gospel of Matthew, you may have noticed that I skipped something. I skipped the first part of this chapter. That's where Jesus rides into town on a donkey. Palm Sunday, right? Well, we remember that. That's our celebration. Well, that actually happens in two weeks. So we're kind of taking things out of order a little bit. We're jumping ahead in the story. So that has already taken place when this happened. Jesus has ridden into town. We've had the, the celebration of all the people looking at him riding. And, and, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But then Jesus demonstrated what might seem to be unexpected behavior. Jesus is known for his acts of compassion, right? Jesus was known for the way that he showed love, how he talked about love, how he encouraged people to love one another. <laughs> and then what did he do here? Well, then Jesus went and said some pretty shocking things. But to be fair, all through his ministry, there were times when he was pretty direct with the Pharisees, right? Called them a brood of vipers. He was pretty insulting to them. He said things as they were. But then today in our story, Jesus did some pretty shocking things. Have you ever played Monopoly and it's not gone well? Oh, wait, let me rephrase that question. Have you ever played Monopoly and it's gone well? <laughs> um, I've heard, I haven't seen it, but I've heard stories of some people who lose their temper playing Monopoly. Now, I'm sure it wouldn't be any of you, ever. But as they're going along, and that person's, the other person's hitting free parking for the third, fourth, tenth time, and you haven't got it, 
They've got all of the great properties, and you're just sinking and getting frustrated and more frustrated and more frustrated. I've heard stories of people actually doing what? Flipping the board, flipping the table. I'm done. Boom. So Jesus goes into the temple, and no, they weren't playing Monopoly, but he goes in, and he starts making a mess. What's with that? That's pretty unexpected for Jesus, right? He, he seems pretty calm in his behavior, at least. Has some sharp words, maybe, but it wasn't like Jesus to go around causing a ruckus, was it? And what's with the fig tree? Poor little fig tree. What did it ever do? Jesus sees this fig tree, and then he curses it, and it withers. And we're listening to this or maybe reading this in the Bible, and we're like, oh, did you see what Jesus just did there? I'm sure that other people were, like, stunned. Maybe his disciples are like, why? What, what's going on? What did that fig tree ever do to you, Jesus? They thought that his behavior was audacious. Especially the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they thought that they were the ones with authority. We can do whatever we like. We're the ones that are in power. So what do we do with that for us today? What does that mean for us today? What does it mean that Jesus demonstrated unexpected behavior? Why did he do it? We need to unpack a little bit of what was going on. Where it was taking place mattered a lot. So this is a model of the temple. Uh, it's very cool. It's a very big model. This is uh, over in Israel. We actually got to see this model. And so this is at the time of King Herod, what it was like. So as you can see, this area here, that would be the most holy place. That's the Holy of Holies. Back in there, that's where the ark would be kept. And on top of the ark was what was called the mercy seat. So that was the idea was it was like God's throne. Kind of like these ones, only fancier, right? Yeah, I couldn't even look at you guys after that when you were doing... Uh, you got to talk to Dwayne and Serena later about why I couldn't look at them. So uh, had something to do with the thrones, though. But anyways, in that place was considered where God would be, behind a curtain. And only once a year, the high priest could go in there to offer, or to offer uh, incense before God. In this area in front of it, and behind this wall, is where they would have the sacrifices. That's where all the sacrifices would take place. And in this area around here, there's a courtyard. You can see three gates here. There's gates on the back. There's gates on the side. That's where all of the Jewish men would come in. Somebody missing there? Who's missing? We got the Jewish what? Sorry? <coughs> Women. Oh, yeah, right. And then the Gentiles. This is where they would worship, in this area here. Gentiles and women were allowed in that area. The women, Jewish women, were not allowed in there. No women were allowed in that area at all. So as you may have figured out, when Jesus came into that area, Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry. And so he was in that area of where the women and the Gentiles were to be worshiping, and he goes in and he starts clearing house. Flipping tables, kicking people out. And everybody's stunned. We're like, what? Did you see what he just did? How could he do that? Why would he be doing that? 
what's going on with Jesus? Did somebody, like, tick him off? Was Jesus just cranky? Was, I mean, he had a reason to be cranky with the Pharisees, right? Let's stop and think about this. They were always getting on his case. They were always being miserable. They're kind of like that older sister and the younger sister, right, that we saw that picture. Right? They kind of got that smirkiness or that attitude. I can understand Jesus being cranky. Right? Pick. Your Pharisee could be that face or it could be that face, right? Is that what was going on with Jesus in that moment? Or was there something else that was happening? Was there a reason that Jesus was angry? We find it in the words that he spoke. He went into that place and he said, It is written, he said, that my house will be called a house of prayer. House will be called a house of prayer. What was happening there was commerce. It was happening right in the wrong place. He quotes from Isaiah 56. 6 to 7. So let's take a look at that together and you see what it says. Isaiah chapter 56. There was something significant that was happening. There was a significant reason that Jesus said what he said. Isaiah 56, starting at verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, foreigners, Gentiles, and give them my joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is what Jesus was talking about. See, when Jesus was angry, it was a righteous anger. This was supposed to be a place of worship. This area that they were in, that I was talking about, this front area here was meant for the worship purposes for Gentiles and women. That was for, not for market. Not for trading money. You see, the people would need to pay for uh, anything with the temple money, the temple uh, currency. And so they would have to exchange money somewhere. And not that Jesus was necessarily opposed to that, but not here. This is a place of worship. And their worship space was overrun. Birds and cattle and all sorts of noise and mess. Jesus, as a powerful prophet, came in, and he cleaned house. You see, the Pharisees had abused their authority. The religious leaders of that day had behaved with audacity. And Jesus said, you are making it a den of robbers. That's what he accused them of. Taking something that was beautiful and making it like it was this place of darkness. You think about a den of of robbers. That's where they hang out and they make their plans. You know, some of the other language we find in Jeremiah 7, 1 to 11, this is where Jesus was quoting that from. Get my right tab here. 
This is what Jeremiah had said that Jesus was quoting about. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, the temple, and there proclaim his message, this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You see, the problem was they were doing all sorts of things that displeased God, and yet they would kind of retreat back in there into the temple and say, Oh, we're protected here. We're protected. It's okay. We can do whatever we want in here. If you really change your actions, your ways and your actions, and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harms, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers, or another word is an insurrectionist, those who are rebels, those who are causing problems, stirring things up. Shocking. Jesus was the one that found that their behavior was audacious. Jesus was the one that was in authority. They were taking the temple as a place of, of safety, and yet they weren't really living the life that God had called them to outside of the temple. They were really living in rebellion against God. And it was showing up in the way that they didn't care about anybody else but themselves when it came to worshiping God. The men's court is fine. We're, we're good. We're doing the right things. We got our stuff together. We don't care about others in their worship. Jesus demonstrated unexpected behavior. And we are reminded in the scriptures that it says about Jesus, that zeal for your house consumes me. And so Jesus cleaned house that day, top to bottom. It's funny, when I thought about this in the past, until I did a little bit more research, I thought, you know, like, you get somebody who comes in and he's just kind of making a mess, well, what do you do afterwards? Well, you go, ugh. And then you go and fix it and put it all back in place. Well, maybe not so with Jesus, because he was recognized as a prophet, one who spoke the voice of God. Maybe it made some lasting change. For Jesus was sending a message that day. It's time to get the house in order. What about the poor little fig tree? Like I said, what did it ever do wrong to anybody? It's just a fig tree. Tells us that. Uh, we see that Jesus was angry 
We know that Jesus was hungry. He comes along to this fig tree. He looks for figs on it. Uh, Some of these fig trees would have early figs. And there was nothing on it. And then he says, may you never produce figs again. And it withers. And we're shocked. And his disciples would probably be shocked too. Like, what's going on? Jesus, did he just kill a tree? All the environmentalists just passed out at that point. Wow, I thought Jesus was a good guy. What's going on? We got to ask the question. Now, I know how I get when I'm hungry in the morning. Was Jesus just hangry that day? Is that all it was? You know, the little kind of bear inside of him kind of woke up and like, Rrr! I wanted some figs, didn't get any figs. Is that what was going on? Maybe for you and I it could happen because we have sin in us. Jesus had no sin in him to make that happen. There was something else that was happening in that moment. Something that would be easy for you and I to miss with a hundred, maybe a thousand times of reading this is that the fig actually represented Israel. You and I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that if it wasn't for the scholars. Maybe you did know that. I shouldn't say that. I didn't know that until I did some research that the fig tree actually was representative of Israel. And maybe in this moment, it actually ties back to Micah 7, 1 and 2 where Micah was using a parallel of what was happening agriculturally with what was happening spiritually. He was using metaphors. As Micah said, there is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. Exactly what happened in that moment. The faithful have been swept from the land. See, Jesus had been going throughout the countryside, had been going into Jerusalem, had been talking to people, had been preaching to them, had been sharing the good news with them, and so few listened. The religious people, the ones who should have been the first ones to get the message and be changed by it, were not. There was no fruit from their ministry. And so the fig tree represented that. Jesus went looking for for fruitfulness in those people and found nothing. Flip over to Jeremiah 8 now. Look at verses 8 to 13. How can you you say we are wise? For we have the law of the Lord. This is what we were talking about in Jeremiah 7 too. You know, we've got the temple, we're going to hide here. Now they're saying, we're wise because we've got the law of the Lord. But here's what's going on. When actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely, the wise will be put to shame, they will be dismayed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners, from the least to the greatest. All are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. Perhaps you remember when Jesus, or when uh, God first drew the people into the promised land, he gave them blessings and curses. He said, if you follow me, I will bless you. If you turn away from me, I will curse you. And what happened to those people is that they would follow for a while, then they would turn away, then then they would repent and come back, and then they would fall away and come back. 
and fall away, and fall away, and fall away. Finally, God said enough, and they were taken away into exile. That was because they had been disobedient to God. Jeremiah goes on to say, they dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush, so they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vines. There will be no figs in the tree, and their leaves will wither. Interesting. Exactly what happened there. And when Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done, we're like thinking, I've never actually seen that done. Like, take a mountain, how do you even dig one up, and then throw it into the sea? Some scholars pointed out, quite properly, that Jerusalem is on a hill. It's on a mountain. So Jesus might have been pointing and saying, this is where this is headed. There is, has not been the repentance. Off you go. You're done away with. This is about the fall of Jerusalem. The problem was Israel. As the fig tree was representative, And it's shocking for Jesus that they would not repent, that they would not change their ways. There was no fruit because there was no faith. And so while Jesus may have demonstrated unexpected behavior, what he was doing was he was giving them a sign. Remember those disciples were Jewish. They understood what Jesus was getting at. So what about us today? How do we demonstrate unexpected behavior? And maybe with that, we need to ask the question, how do people expect Christians to behave? Nice. We're good, nice people. Oh, we're Canadians. You know, we're, we're amongst the best kind of Christians, right? We're, we're not only Christians, because so we're loving, but we're Canadian Christians, so we're polite too, right? Unless somebody puts on a hockey game. Um, different story. Um, but anyways, right, we are loving, kind, good to one another, and so on, and so on, and sin. There's sin. And what do we do with that? There's sin in the world, and sometimes all that nice Canadian, good Christian stuff conflicts inside of us, and we say, is it okay for Christians to be angry? We might be quick to turn to Jesus when we are angry in these stories and say, well, look, Jesus flipped tables, so it's understandable that my monopoly and your monopoly stuff went everywhere. Like, hey, I'm just following my master? No. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. You see, righteous anger has a place. And it was righteous anger that Jesus expressed when he was in the temple, when he was clearing out that space of worship that was meant for the women and the Gentiles to be able to worship too. It was righteous anger when Jesus was showing a sign about the fruitlessness and the faithlessness of those people. 
but for you and for I. Righteous anger, getting it right, is often difficult. We're good at being angry sometimes, but we forget about, are we actually being righteous or not? Remember what Paul wrote. He said, in your anger, do not sin. And then James told us that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There is a big difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. And it's quite simple to find out which is which. Righteous anger is about God's agenda, and it's not for our agenda. Is it about really what God would want? Is it about his values, or is it just we're ticked off because our older sister has been pestering us? Or because maybe, you know, it's been too long since we last ate something. Jesus demonstrated unexpected behavior. And the most unexpected was when the Son of God allowed himself to be brutalized spit upon, have a crown of thorns put onto his head, to be nailed to a cross when he was completely innocent. As he said in the garden at the time of his arrest, he could have called upon his father and had legions of angels come and rescue him. It's unexpected behavior. But he didn't. He showed an incredible amount of obedience, submission, and love. So we should exhibit unexpected behavior. You and me. And a lot of that should look like love. It should look like the peace that Jesus gives and sets in our hearts. It should look like the joy that we have in knowing that we are right with God and the good things he has for us in this life and in the life to come. Sometimes that's going to mean stepping outside of what people would expect of us. Letting God to guide us. Letting God make us stand up against what is wrong. Giving us a voice. Not about political stuff, but about that which is found, which really angers God. And I pray for wisdom and discernment for us all in all this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus so much for everything that he means to me and to everyone here and while it seems like he behaved in some really unexpected ways we see that he was motivated by love for your people by a love that is found in you and then the Gentiles and the women couldn't worship in that part of the temple that part those, that courtyard that was meant for that express purpose, to help him connect to you. He was angry and he went about setting things right. When he saw the fruitlessness and the faithlessness of his people, he gave them a sign. Guide us so when we see sin in this world, when we hear about it, when we are confronted with it, it is so easy for us to express unrighteous anger. When you call us to, help us to express 
anger only as you would call us to. That we would speak up for those who have no voice. That we would do so out of a love for them, compassion for them, and for people to know you. May it never be about our agenda, but only yours. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to remember the Lord's Supper together today. And as we prepare to do that, we're going to sing through You Are My All in All. And we'll have our, uh, our, those who are serving and our deacons come forward in the second verse. Please stand as we sing together. And so we remember, as we are approaching this Easter season, we remember what Jesus did for us. As Jesus was gathered together with his closest disciples in the upper room, they were celebrating the Passover, Passover that they had celebrated for hundreds of years. It had been instituted as a reminder of God's rescue of those who were lost in slavery from a place called Egypt, of forming his own people and drawing them out of that place 
setting them into a new promised land. The night that they were gathered around the table, they would have had many elements in this Passover meal, but Jesus focused on two of them. He focused on the bread and he focused on the wine, representing his body and his blood. Jesus said that I have longed to eat this meal with you together. It's fascinating to me that even there, in that place, as they ate together, Judas was there too. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you profess Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are invited to take part today and to remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ symbolized for us today in these elements. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Let's now remember the body of Christ in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, with humility and gratitude, we take this bread today. We remember it is a symbol of the broken body of your son, Jesus, crucified on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for our sin. Help us not only today, but every day to be thankful for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Body of Christ given for you and for me let us take and eat in remembrance of him scriptures tell us that after supper he took the cup the cup of redemption 
And he said, this cup represents a new covenant in my blood. See, the old covenant was kept through the blood of bulls and calves. But this covenant was an everlasting covenant. And the blood of Jesus Christ has sealed that for you and for me. Let us now remember the blood of Jesus Christ in a time of prayer. Father, I thank you for sending Jesus and for his sacrifice of blood. His blood removes all sin and provides blessing to all, even though we don't deserve it. Believing in Jesus, let us light, let our light shine in us so others may come to know and believe in you. In his name I pray, amen. blood of Jesus Christ, shed for you and for me. Drink in remembrance of him. The scriptures tell us that they sang a hymn and then went out. So let us stand and sing once again our hymn. Please stand.
to go and to spread his news, his good news to everyone, to go and trample on scorpions, to speak out against evil, to care for the lost and the lonely and the hurting and the marginalized. We are called to be his hands and his feet and to do so with audacity. So let us go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.